to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. So today in the church calendar is Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is a Sunday when we, again, remember who Jesus was, is, and what that means to the church, and we exalt Jesus as King. The message today and the scriptures today are going to be based on and kind of help us unpack the idea of, okay, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the Christ. What does he desire to see in the church? What is the community of God meant to look like? So we're going to look at two scriptures, but before we go to the scriptures, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it molds and shapes us, that we can read it and you help us discern it. So we pray for that now, that you would help us to hear these words, to apply them, that we can go from this place pursuing your best intents for our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, Old Testament reading from Psalm 22 Beginning at verse 27, it says this. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. The New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, the early part of the church. We're going to read from chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to the chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to sit and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. 
What's to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we changed things up a little bit here because I wanted to use the children to help us get an idea of the molding and shaping process that each of us is going through. And that scripture is very powerful, that scripture in Isaiah that reminds us that we are the clay and he is the potter, molding and shaping us. Our Lord is shaping us. But if you're anything like me, when I think about the way that God is molding and shaping, I just assume that since God is God, that God is molding and shaping everyone to be just like me, that they should think like me and enjoy the things that I enjoy and act like me and consider the ways to worship and the ways to connect with people and all those things the way I do, because that makes me comfortable. And Let's be honest. I mean, I know I'm still progressing. I'm still a growth in process, progress. But ultimately, I feel like I'm pretty far along in my relationship with God. And you guys are just, just haven't caught up yet. I heard sniggers. Yeah, no, that's not it at all. So I guess I get that idea from the thinking that we have in terms of art. Have you ever seen a great painting, a famous painting by an artist? You know, art historians and art, art critics can look at a painting even without seeing the signature. They can know who painted it by the telltale signs, the colors that are used, the texture, the brush strokes. And they can discern maybe a forgery or a genuine product just by looking at those things and they'll know. Or you might have heard of times when, when a painting was found and it was unsigned and it was found somewhere and it's meant to be an old painting and they're able to discern, yes, this is a Rembrandt or this is a Van Gogh and we know this, why? Because of those telltale signs. This is their calling card, their signature. And so I think about my own life and my own spiritual development and I assume the same things. That God is molding and shaping and must be molding and shaping just like me. But no. You see, we serve and worship a God who is unknowable, unfathomable, infinite. Therefore, God is creating vessels also infinite, completely unique and different from one another. And so what that means, apart from the example of Jesus, there is no one right way to be a human. There's no one specific way in which to gather together as the community of God. There's no one correct, only right way to worship. There are no, meant to be no barriers to inclusion into the family of God. None. Even the ones that I would like to erect. Now, when we go to scripture, we might think, well, here, there must be some evidence of what God desires. And we spent nine weeks, a few weeks ago, talking about how do we know that we are in the family of God, that we are growing as we're meant to grow. 
Well, what did we do? We looked at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, all those things should be becoming more and more evident in each of our lives as a result of our relationship with God. But how does love, joy, peace, patience, etc. express itself? Completely, uniquely for each of us. Depending on our background, depending on our ethnicity, depending on our gender, our experience, whatever has gone on in life, God is molding and shaping us uniquely. Now we find in the scriptures, in the New Testament, from the very beginning, the early church wrestled with questions about inclusion. Who should be included in the church and the family of God and who should be excluded? They wrestled with questions about women. Like how do we make women a more connected or vital part of the faith community? What about people who aren't Jewish, who don't come from the Hebrew heritage? Are they to be included? What do we do with slaves or former slaves? They're a completely different social status than us. How do they get included? And though it wasn't without disagreement, the church, the early church, continues to fall and err on the side of inclusiveness rather than exclusiveness, despite what many of them desired and thought was right. But surely in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, I mean, the Old Testament, the Hebrew canon, what we call the Old Testament, is all about the Israelites and the story of the Israelites. And who are the Israelites? We all know, right? They are God's chosen people. Surely they see themselves as unique and special and God is shaping the rest of people to be just like them. But no, even in the Old Testament, even though these people saw themselves as the select The chosen ones, right through the Old Testament scriptures, there's evidence of them recognizing God's love is for all people, even our enemies. There's an entire book included in the Old Testament canon, an entire book written about God demonstrating mercy to people that the Hebrews hated. The book of Jonah is a story of God calling one man to go and speak to the Ninevites, to preach to them redemption, to say, if you do this, God will accept you back. And why does Jonah run away? He runs away because he's afraid that God will show mercy to those nasty people. He doesn't like them. He doesn't want that. He knows how merciful God is. And he wants no part of offering that to these people. And yet, we find it in our scriptures. The Hebrew people read this too, and it challenged them to their core. Now think about in our own times, in modern times, 60 years ago this year, Martin Luther King made the following statement. He said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Man, 60 years on, that still makes me wince. It makes me uncomfortable. And in many ways, I'm sure we have progressed, and yet the church 
not just in the United States, worldwide, continues to be pretty monocultural. And even though MLK is talking specifically about ethnic diversity and racial segregation, there are a whole lot of other ways that I find myself excluding people because of I want them to come on my terms. And the church for generations has been a place that has excluded people based on political ideology, on ethnicity or gender, based on theological arguments and disputes. We've excluded people, again, based on gender, on orientation, on social strata, you name it, and the family of God, the people of God, have found ways to keep people out, and yet I'm convinced that was never God's intent. The scriptures we read today, it talks about the Old Testament in the Psalms, it talks about the world will come, all people will come to worship. And in the New Testament, Philip is called to an Ethiopian eunuch. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. Ethiopian and a eunuch, and there's all sorts of inclusion there. And he says, baptize me. And it happens. How does that happen? Again, a demonstration of God's intent. See, God, Jesus, on his time here on earth, was never about exclusion. He included all people from the beginning. Women, children, Samaritans, Roman centurions. Even, I know this one's hard to swallow, even fishermen. You might know a couple of those. They're included too. All people. For several years, actually more than a decade or so, I've been involved with an organization called Urban Promise. Urban Promise is a ministry to children and young people in Camden, New Jersey. Camden's remains one of the most violent communities in the nation. So Bruce Maine is the founder, president. He's a friend of mine. Several years ago, he wrote this book, Why Jesus Crossed the Road. And I've used this book multiple times in college classrooms and in Sunday school programs. It's a fantastic book, encouraging people to be road crossers. He actually suggests that road crossing should be seen as a spiritual discipline. This is how he defines road crossing. Listen to this. Road crossing is the intentional effort to make connections with people completely unlike ourselves without any agenda or attempt to change them into something that resembles us. I say again, road crossing is the intentional effort to make connections with people completely unlike ourselves, without any agenda, to change them into something that resembles us. And he goes on in this book to talk about road crossing as a spiritual discipline, and that spiritual discipline, this, this pursuit of relationships other than those that are just like us, he sees it as actually a measure of spiritual maturity. And he quotes theologian Samuel Marston in regard to spiritual maturity. He says this, 
Behind any real conversion, we should be looking for some real change in a person's social relations, some change in the kind of community with which the person feels at home. We should find an expansion of the range of people with whom we identify and to whom we feel responsible. The broadening vision that signals faith maturing implies then a broadening of the range of people who contribute to that vision. By the same token, the limits of faith's maturity can be measured by the range of people whose experience it ignores. In other words, he takes Marston's words and he's essentially saying that our maturity is reflected in the relationships that we pursue. The more diverse those relationships, he's saying, the more depth to our spiritual lives. Why is that? Well, again, as I shared with the children, if I only surround myself with people just like me, I have a limited perspective on who God is and how God is working in the world. But if I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone, to pursue relationships that are completely different, my understanding of God becomes vastly broader. A couple weeks ago, Cindy and I went to Pennsylvania to be with her family, and we happened to be there at a time when there was uh, a memorial service. So we went to the memorial service. It was not anyone that I knew, but we went to the memorial service. It was her father's cousin who had passed. Now her father, her stepfather, is Greek, belongs to the Greek Orthodox Church, and so we went to this memorial service in this church. And walking in the building... There is not a wall that is not covered with pictures, beautiful pictures, icons, we call them, pictures of Jesus, pictures of the saints, of the disciples, of events in Jesus' life, floor, ceiling, walls, everywhere. You walk in and you can can smell the incense. As they're reading, going through this memorial service, the scriptures, now I know that you would never want this to happen, but they actually chant or sing the scriptures. You don't want me or Jeff doing that. I promise you. And they're reading scriptures that I had heard dozens of times before. But because of that setting, because of the way that they were being communicated, it transformed the way I understand them. I heard them afresh and anew. Now, I'm not suggesting we start doing chants in here or put icons all over the place or change up the main sanctuary. I'm not suggesting that at all, but to be, to put myself in that situation and setting actually broadened my depth, my understanding of who God is. And yeah, it was a little uncomfortable at times. Because I really didn't know when I was supposed to be up or down or any of those kind of things. But again, the purpose of it, their purpose, was worship. It wasn't about me. It was about God. And the way that they connected to God was very different than my own. And that was beautiful. In a different place in the book... Bruce Main talks about the church. And I know we gather in church, 
We gather to kind of steal ourselves from from what might be happening out there. And sometimes we have this idea that the church is a bit of a fortress. It's a place where I can go for safety and shelter. And yes, it's certainly part of that. But he suggests that it's a little bit different than that. It's more than just that. He says this, the church is not a fortress that protects us from the world. The church ultimately is a community of people who open their arms to all people in the loving name of Christ. Wherever they are, on the journey of faith. That the true church doesn't happen in this building. It happens out there. It's you and I out there embracing all others in the name of Jesus, regardless of what they look like, how they dress, the language that they speak. It's understanding that they too are created and are being formed in the image of God. Now, if I'm honest, that makes me uncomfortable. I would much rather surround myself with people just like me. It's just easier. I don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or avoid awkward situations that way. But I don't think that that represents God's best for me. It doesn't represent God's best for the church, and it doesn't represent God's best for the world. God desires that we see one another as family, that we pursue deep and meaningful relationships with people who aren't just like us, who do have different perspectives, but understand that God is molding and shaping them as well. Now, here at RPC, we're, we're pretty good at that. But I don't want to be self-congratulatory. I mean, just recently, most of you know, because this service, more than any others, hangs out here a little bit. And we mix regularly with La Familia de Dios, this Hispanic family that comes in the community that meets in the historic sanctuary. 815. So 815. If you've ever been to the 815 service, it's very traditional. It's beautiful. But it's very traditional. And it's mostly an older generations that that worship there. As soon as that service is over, La Familia goes into that same space. They put their speakers up. And if you've ever looked at that building coming for like 9.30 to 10.30, the roof is bouncing. They're blowing the walls off of that place. But the focus is exactly the same as the service that precedes it. It's the worship of God the Creator. And the opportunity that, again, you and this service have to mix and mingle and kind of hear their stories and share with them the love that we have with Jesus, for Jesus, is powerful. It's fantastic. Take advantage of that. Because ultimately, as followers of Christ, Christians, Christ-like, we are about pursuing what Jesus pursued. One more time from this book, Bruce Main talks about Jesus and the life of Jesus and what he believes Jesus desires for each of us. Following his example, Jesus demonstrated that a God-following life is a life of inclusion and expansion. It's not an exclusive and limited life that avoids certain kind of people and certain places. 
the God-following life, for Jesus was a life committed to entering the lives and stories of all kinds of people. It was a life that challenged barriers. That's the kind of life, as difficult as it is for me, that I desire to pursue. And I, I believe that it's the life that God is calling all of us to pursue. To break down barriers, to pursue relationships with people different from ourselves that we can all share the common foundation that we have as the family of God, the love of God, and experiencing the best that God has to offer, not limited by my own narrow perspective. So I encourage us, when we look at this, and we see pottery kind of lying around somewhere, we think, ha, I understand that scripture in Isaiah that God is molding and shaping, but I also recognize that God is doing the same in an infinite number of ways. And for me to really get to know God, I need to get to know others who are being molded and shaped by God completely differently from myself. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the world that you have given us to inhabit. That each of us is created in your image and yet reflects a different aspect of who you are. And I ask that you help us to overcome our inhibitions to pursue relationships with others, deep, meaningful, spiritual relationships with others that we can walk together side by side in pursuing a life that you have called us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.